Welcome to Road to Play Podcast. I am your game master, Kent Blue. We are an actual play podcast where I play tabletop role-playing games with my friends from all over the world. So if you're ready, grab a player sheet, grab some dice, and let's roll to play. What's up, everyone, and welcome back to Road to Play Podcast. Going to do a quick little intro here because today's episode I have my good friend Tim Devine on, and we are welcoming just extraordinary, awesome person, Epidiah Ravishall. You know him from, he designed Dread, Swords Without Masters, Time and Temp, Vast and Starlet, tons of games. He has a module on Kids on Bikes, which we love here at Roller Play. You've probably heard of Epidiah if you're listening to this. Uh... Quick intro, though, because normally I don't do these on these from behind the screen episodes, but we just kind of started talking whenever we got on, on Skype and the conversation just flowed. So I didn't want to stop us at any point and do an intro. So I'm just tagging this on here because we're going to start kind of uh, in the middle of our conversation, as you'll see in just a moment. But definitely check out the show notes uh, for everything about Epidiah, uh, where you can find him, his website, his work, Twitter, all of that. Such, you know, I've said it a million times on this show, on the episode. I'm going to say it again. Thank you so much to Ebediah for taking time out of his day to come and just, you know, honestly, we just have a chat. We just talk. We we kind of had an agenda when we started, but we, I, we just let the conversation go where it went. We talk a lot about game design, a lot about GMing, a lot about playing. It's a really interesting conversation I think you'll really enjoy. So let's jump right into it from behind the screen with... Tim Devine, and guest host, Epidiah Ravishall. When I saw your your post, uh, you know, saying that you were, you know, looking looking to be on more podcasts, my my first thought for when anybody wants to be on a podcast and they, they you know, have games out there that are that are well known or anything, I always think of Kent because he has, he's got a great show where He's featuring all kinds of players. So a lot of the shows that are out there right now that are getting the most attention have professional improv, uh, yeah. you know, actors or or you know, which is really good. It's really spreading the hobby. But you know, it's I love I love hearing on Kent's show new new players who are just doing it for the first time, and uh, oh, and yeah. now he works works them through. It's fantastic. So I thought I thought it'd be a perfect opportunity for like a person, you know, of your experience in the industry and what you've contributed to like. You know, yeah. lend a voice. They can they can hear your hear your games and and uh, yeah. It's I mean like it's an interesting thing happening right now in the hobby, which I don't like fully grasp because uh, it it came upon me faster than I expected. Like at some point, somebody was like, "Do you know about Twitch?" And I was like, <laughs> "No, I don't know about Twitch." And then the very next person said, everything is Twitch. <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute. Uh, so I like the, the thing that I like to tell people is uh, like I started publishing. My, uh, Dread came out in 2005. So that's 13 years ago, which is oof, 13 years ago. And when Dread came out, we didn't have tablets and smartphones and 
print-on-demand technology really wasn't there. I mean, it was there, but it what really wasn't there. And there, uh, like, there was no crowdfunding. There was no Kickstarter, and all of that. Uh, and then now I have to add to that, and there was no Twitch, like that, because <laughs> uh, each of these things, each of these technological advances, have changed fundamentally what we do, like. Uh, as publishers, not necessarily as players, although in, in many cases they also do that. But like uh, the advent of the smartphone and that everyone has a device now in their pocket where they can read a PDF meant that I could sell a, a thing that didn't exist. Right. Like I could I could sell you a PDF of my game and I don't have to ship it. and I don't have to hold it in a warehouse. I don't have to go to a distributor or to a retailer. You could just go to my website and say, yeah, I want that, and I want that right, right the fuck now, and you get it, uh, and that's great. Um, that made it possible for game designers to be more experimental with what they do with games because you don't have to be hugely successful to make your money back, right? Your overhead is far smaller if all you're doing is selling PDFs. And then from there, like crowdfunding changed that. You can make gorgeous looking games uh, right out the gate. Um, when when Dread sold, I think we sold, uh, you had to premiere at Gen Con. Gen Con was the way to go. If you didn't do it, if you didn't like release your game at Gen Con, it, was, it didn't, you know, <laughs> it didn't exist as far as people knew. And uh, we sold about 30 games and that was a runaway success at the time for for an indie game you know and uh nowadays you know i look at people who've never never published a role-playing game before do their first kickstarter and just blow that out of the water and then they'll come to me and be like do you have any advice for me and i'm like i no do you have any advice for me (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, so um, what a, I, I'm going a long way around here, but the Twitch thing uh, is all great. It's bringing a lot of new people to the hobby. Uh, but the one thing that I am trying to find a way to deal with in it is to get people who aren't... Uh, okay, so a reaction to Twitch is often, that was great. I really enjoyed watching you play. I could never do something like that. And as somebody who publishes a game, <laughs> I'm like, no, you can. That's <laughs> my whole business model is based on that. You can do this. I believe in you, and uh, your friends believe in you. So I, I am all about celebrating a diversity of gamers, not just the ones that are particularly good at performing in front of audiences. I'm not denigrating that audience that crowd at all like that's gorgeous what they do and i love that they could do it i just like um wonder if we're going to end up in an area where it's sort of like you know you watch professional basketball uh and you sometimes do pick up games of basketball but there's no real in between uh i wonder if that's where we're headed or not 
Yeah, we'll I, I see. Yeah, I didn't know if that needed to be in the actual show, but I just wanted to let uh, let let you know if you like kind of what the origin of when I saw why why I why yeah. I kind of threw Kent under the the, the bus. The, <laughs> it's, it. You got to be, here. but then Kent dragged dragged me on. So which which you know, I, I was glad to see that because I have this and. You know, we did an episode on imposter syndrome a few weeks back, uh, and that's mm-hmm. part of mine is it's really hard for me to, like, put myself out there. So whenever I have people like Tim, they're like, hey, you should go on this show. I'm like, I can totally tag on the end of that, and, and Tim will have done most of the work for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no. no. And no. normally normally I would have been like, well, no, I, I don't. I didn't mean me too. But when, when it was, you know, <laughs> Epidiah on the shot, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> because <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan of yours i know i know kent is too he's run your your game on on his show and you know oh and, uh, thank you yeah i, I yeah. did a i did a halloween dread with nice. with all new to role-playing people so uh-huh. um, that's great yeah which <laughs> tim was talking about you know i i it just i don't think i set out to do just like i even i've mostly done people who have never played a role-playing game in their life uh it's not what i set out to do it just happened to be happens to be who i know and who i connect with uh right but I love it, and I've mentioned this before. Um, I love playing with new people because every time, whether they really get into it or not, you have that moment where either if you're sitting around the table or over the internet using webcams, you have that moment where you see it kind of click in, where they're like, oh, I can I can do anything. I'm helping tell this story. And that moment, right. that moment is yeah. so great for me because whether they play anything after that or not, in that moment, they bought in, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's um, that's gorgeous. Well, okay, so years ago, um, I can almost place the number of years ago if I if I tried really hard here. I, I'm going to say 10, 11, or 12 years ago, so a little over a decade, at least a decade ago, uh, I was playing in a game of Dread. So uh, this has, doesn't happen to me often, as you would expect, <laughs> like I'm almost always the one running it. Uh, and it was a friend of mine. I was living in New York at the time. It was a friend of mine. Uh, and he got together a group of people to play. And uh, sh- this was shortly after we actually released Dread. So Dread existed in a number of various states uh, for about five or six years before we released it. So I, I was, uh, I'm, uh, at this time, had been living with the game uh, for almost a decade. And uh, he, was, he had a scenario that he wanted to try out. He wanted, to, uh, wanted me to play in it. I was playing in it. Uh, there were, I think, two or three other people in it that were playing, one of which she had never role-played before. And uh, there was this thing she did right at the beginning of the, well, like when we first started, because, you, you know, you talk about that moment where people are like, wait, I can contribute to the story, right? Yeah. Uh, and she had that moment. You could see it. You could see it, you know, come over her. And then she went further than our role-playing sensibilities allowed. And there was a moment of panic with everyone. Like, like, she, so she started inventing things that had nothing to do with her character and had to do with the story itself. And, you know, at this time, this is 
early early aughts. Oh no, this is mid aughts. This is um, but like mostly people's game experiences have been like the more traditional style of play where you had a game master and you had some players and the game master uh, was in charge of the world itself and the players had their characters and they're in charge of the characters. So you could say things like my character does this or my character does that, but you don't get to say that the thing creeping in the darkness has now moved behind us, right? Like that, that doesn't seem right. (laughs) And we had this like, uh, really tense moment because we didn't want to she was pulling blocks to do it she was just getting up and pulling blocks and making it happen and we were like so she wasn't following the rules but what she was doing was kind of awesome anyways and it it unsettled me in a good way like i was like oh i have to be explicit about some of this stuff in certain ways and also it's okay uh, to allow it to work this other way around, right? Like to let players bring some of this, more of the story than what we've traditionally allowed. So it was just this really neat moment where, uh, you know, both watching her do it and watching it come, come across her, but also watching all of these other players who've been playing for a while just tense up in a way <laughs> they, they're just like wait that's not how you play but nobody said anything we just like kind of just cringed and looked at each other i think also one of the reasons why we cringed and looked at each other is because who has the authority now to tell her is it the person running the game is it the person who wrote the game is it and, you know nobody was was doing that uh it was like the tragedy of the commons thing where it's it's everyone's job to do it, and nobody was going to step up to do it because shouldn't the other person do it? Yeah, uh, but <laughs> it it worked out really well. I thought it was it was a really uh, neat take on it, and got me thinking about other ways that I can make that happen. Uh, for Dread itself, I don't largely recommend it. I like keep coming at uh, ideas for coming for doing more GMless style <clears throat> or GM full or whatever you want to call it. Uh, dread uh, hacks because I think that there's there's fun to be had there, but uh, I don't like I like the way Dread is for the stories that Dread tells. Right, like I I do enjoy having that deep dark secret that somebody is going to keep from me unless I pull enough blocks to find out the truth, and in doing so, I am risking my character's life. Uh, so that's that's a thing that I do enjoy. Uh, that's still like a you know a part of dread that I'm like yeah I want, I just prefer the game to work that way, but I like experimenting in other ways too. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, that that's a, that's a, that, yeah that's a really really cool story. Because um, yeah, I could imagine. I mean. You know, you want to allow that that person, you know, since they're they're kind of in that moment buying into it, you know, to really yeah. get captured by it. But you know, you also kind of want to. Uh, sorry, it just that I don't know. I'm just struck by that. That's that's really cool experience yeah, w- for someone to have and to just kind of experience as a group. You have this like fear that the you know like oh is she gonna break the story <laughs> and yeah. it, then it's like. But what is the story, right? Like, uh, somebody has obviously prepared something for us, 
But if that if we never get to that, if we never go to that while we're playing, then does that exist? Yeah, <laughs> it, uh, <laughs> that gets pretty esoterical. So, uh, I, but yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, the GM side of me because I, I'm very reactive as a GM. Like the less. Uh, the less planning I do, the feel I better, the better I am. I mean, that's yeah. also dependent on what system I'm running, but right, you know. So, so that that GM side of me is like really. I mean, that's so cool because this person's like, you know, if I had that in, my, in a game of mine, this person keeps pulling bricks and everything. And like I, for me, that's exciting because on one level, because I have to adjust. I'm like, okay, what am I going to do now if if this derails, you know, the the basic story that I have. You know, just mm-hmm. I, I would I I get excited thinking about okay, how am I going to swerve this now? How am I going to work with this now? But then, you know, like the other part GM where the planning side of me, the small part that it is, is like, oh my goodness, this if this tower falls now, we're we're way early, right. you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I will say I had a game again, an early early on game uh, where. Oh, it was a horror scenario that took place on the International Space Station. Uh, I really liked the isolation that comes along with that. And um, in many ways, I don't know if you've seen uh, the movie Rampage that just came out. Oh, I haven't yet. My kids no. really want to see it, but I haven't got a chance to go yet. I I really love that film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I went online and I, when I first saw a preview for it, I was like, Folks, I'm going to go see this film. Just so you know, just <laughs> this is a film I'm going to see because it's got a, a giant ape and a giant wolf and a giant gator, and they fight. And you're not going to keep me from seeing that. You know? <laughs> uh, but the very beginning—I don't know how old your kids are—but the very beginning of it is a really effective horror movie that takes place on the International Space Station. Like, the first five minutes of it, I think, or whatever. Uh, so I don't, like, it, it's not necessarily, like, don't take your kids or anything like that, but yeah. just just be aware that that's going to happen. And uh, it really, like, you know, that I there's something about that isolation uh, being trapped in this, you know, tin can flying around the, in orbit around the Earth, uh, just very uh, is very visceral to me, despite the fact that I've never been in outer space. But uh, in this scenario, we had a one person start off as a crew member on the ISS, and then the rest were coming up on a shuttle, and there was communication back and forth, and they were already arguing. So that when the shuttle crew finally attached to the ISS and the first person came across, he threw a punch at the other person. (laughs) And so they started, you know, that thing with the tower where the two just start pulling blocks. Uh, And this was the very beginning of the game. And I couldn't be happier. Like, I just (laughs) leaned back and I was like, that's great. It doesn't matter what I made up. You two are going to kill each other in space. (laughs) This is going to entertain the rest of us. I don't even have to be here. Uh, yeah, oh, they did. Awesome. They ended up settling it without without killing each other. So that's <laughs> oh yeah, that's 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 awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and aside aside from the the rules of the game, like whether or not somebody is kind of going, 
you know, th- you know, throwing out the GM's plan or, or going their own way. But you were talking about, you know, th- how uh, one of your players was was doing something that was not really the rules didn't really say they could do this, but they didn't they weren't aware of it. Yeah. But there's also a social contract at the table. And, yeah. and regardless of the rules that you have, I think that 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 moment that your players and you are having where you're all looking at each other like. Uh, is this should we do we stop her now do we that's because there's you know you all have that kind of agreement because most games are players are willing to break something yeah you're willing to do house rules or you know uh, you know somebody who's very combative with the gm sometimes or whatever but but uh, there is that social contract that states that you know at some point you gotta stop because there has to be the game that we all agreed to have yeah yeah and and in that particular case it did like we, we were like oh uh and then we I think we even uh, took a moment to sit down and kind of go over that part of role playing. And I even remember her being uh, slightly defensive about it. And I don't mean that like in a, like uh, in a bad way. I think she was in her right being slightly defensive about it because we didn't tell her that. And we just took it for granted that people would behave this way because that's just, you know, for years, that's how it worked when we played, right? Like that's, you, you get kind of caught up in the invisible rules of your social contract and you're, you don't realize that fresh eyes may uh, look at it differently. Uh, so I do remember that happening as well, but it, I mean, again, it all worked out. It was, uh, an interesting dialogue to have. And one that like, I continue to have as I write games, it's, a so there's that thing in a role playing game where if you're writing a role playing game text and you, you, you don't know your audience exactly right you can make guesses about who's going to pick it up but you don't know if they've never role played before or if they've played this style of game you know they've played dungeons and dragons second edition since the 90s and uh you know that you don't know where to begin explaining how a role-playing game works. And if you don't start from the beginning, you're going to leave some people out. They're just not going to understand the very basic concepts of it. But if you do, uh, you run the risk of boring people that that already either know how, how it runs or think they know. Uh, and you run into that situation where okay, if I've bored you, you're going to skim over this section and you may miss this very important detail about how the game is different from other games and you need to pay attention to that. Uh, When um, writing Swords Without Master, I did this whole section on affordances and constraints because I wanted to find a way to tell people to explain this invisible social contract to say uh, this is different than other role-playing games uh, in these certain ways. Like you, you can't uh, or rather you can't like 
the overplayer in that game can totally railroad you at the beginning of any phase and tell you exactly why you were there and what you were doing there. And in a game like, if you were doing that in a game like D&D, somebody might go, wait a minute, my character would never do that. I'm not here for that reason. But in Swords, part of the challenge is to then go, all right, how do I make my character and this situation work? Like, you're not... That's part of the challenge that's placed on the players and part of the fun of the game. Uh, So I had to find a way to describe that where it was entertaining to read and felt informative and didn't feel like we were going over the exact same, so you're about to play a role-playing game (laughs) um, every time. And that's that it's it's hard because you kind of you have to find a way to be fresh and you also it's also hard because it's the moments when you um i'm just going on and on here i apologize oh, no, uh, it's fine. Uh, all right there's the there's the thing that they do sometimes in programming classes where they're like all right i need you to write directions for how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and it doesn't matter what directions you write somebody can look at them and and see an assumption that that you didn't you know make like you you could say uh spread your peanut butter on the bread and then they'll just pull a whole loaf of bread out and spread peanut butter across the top of the bread right like every step there's another smaller step and every step there's another you know like it just this this idea that we're 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 building on something the question is how what that something is we don't know what that something is when we build on it i think Whew. all right <laughs> apologize for that <laughs> no 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 that was, that was very interesting that made that you know i i get exactly i mean well i don't i don't i don't writing an rpg or or anything like that's not one of my skill sets but i understand what you're saying you know about yeah about you have to build off off of you know that somebody's knowledge of what i think a role-playing game is yeah. and how much you have to build that you know so. Yeah, yeah, and also for I mean from from my from from my experience because I'm I'm a I'm a like brand new like I, I barely even got my foot in the in the developing game door and uh, but it's it, my my wife and I uh, you know hack and design games but it's a new thing for us relatively and uh, we I started designing I mean I designed games I found out later way earlier in life but just didn't realize it but when I when I started designing a game for my group of friends, it was because it, it was because it was a. Uh, uh, I I wanted to play. I wanted to run a, a Star Wars game with them, mm-hmm. I, and I didn't want to learn the Fantasy Flight system, and I didn't yeah. want them to have to learn a brand new system and buy books. It was just going to be a group of people having fun, maybe for a one shot. Right. And so I designed it, and then we started playing it, and that was over two years ago. And we've been playing the same campaign since, and the game's gone through many iterations. Nice. Um, but when I first realized that somebody else might like this, and so I should probably teach somebody else how to play it, writing it, designing it mechanically, and running it myself was one thing. Right. Actually, writing the the text like the way you the way you said it is, is something completely different. And what I've noticed is, you know, after reading, uh, you know, I wrote I wrote it, I designed it, I des- I wrote all the how tos and all that stuff, and then I went out and and looked at other books other other designers and two two yeah. books two two game, games stood out at, after reading them as probably the most like informative and made me go back to my own text and, and rethink a lot of things is one of them was was a uh, dungeon world right 
uh, just the way it's written is is just phenomenal, and I th- I see so many other games that came after it, uh, you know, using similar similar approach. But then the the other one was without a doubt Swords Without Master. I mean, oh, it was just it, it not only it not only looked at the the swords and sorcery uh, uh, genre from a totally different angle, like completely different angle of of it's not hit miss, guys. Come on, it's not yeah. hit miss. Conan <laughs> didn't hit and miss. <laughs> Yeah, and it's it's about tone, and it's about and it's about story, and and so those two texts really made me rethink a lot of how I wrote rules, but also how I how I sort of taught other people how to play. Um, yeah, so how to how to play the game. So I, I want to thank you, know, obviously, thank you very much for your <laughs> for your work. You're quite welcome. <laughs> um, so well, Swords was an interesting because it took me a long time to write that game. I had that designed. Uh, almost in its entirety in 2010 and then i think it came out oh wait i was celebrating its four-year anniversary so 2014 so it took me about four years to write that game and one of the reasons is that i just had to i had to find the voice for it it was uh uh yeah, I, I mean, I, I really had to, to find the voice for it because I didn't want, um, I didn't want it to be dry. I didn't want it to be just like a, a do this and then do that because I was doing something different with the game, and it may not be evident just reading the instructions that that different thing would be fun, right? So what I I wanted to make sure that I had text that sounded like something fun was about to happen right like i i i had to uh kind of embrace that feeling i had when i was a kid and i was first reading um the you know the D basic set that actually the first first role-playing game i ever bought was the D expert set <laughs> so i didn't even have i had no clue what i was doing and uh, but there was like there's something about it that that just suggested that something was on the other side. And I just had to figure out what that was. You know, I had to uh, puzzle my way through until, until I got to it. Uh, but then also I had to have like so, you know, I wanted to make it dripping with this sort of sword and sorcery. uh, uh a tone, I guess. I should just go ahead and use the words that I use for the game. Uh, but I also wanted to make sure that I was really clear about certain things. Like, the game starts off and says, you have an objective in this game, and this is your objective. Uh, I Like, I don't want to be wishy-washy about it. And part of that was because I published it in Worlds, so it was... Uh, I don't remember how many pages it was. Uh, look it up. But uh, well, it wasn't the shortest game I've written at that point because I think Fast and Starlet was out by then, which is like 500 words at most. So, uh, but anyways, it was like I thought I had like after I designed the game, I was like, oh, okay, this is going to be another big book. I'm just going to do a big book game here, and then uh, I started publishing Worlds, and I was like, oh, maybe I'll put like some sort of preview in worlds. And then I started writing it and then I was like, I think I can finish it and put it all in worlds. 
is that a dumb thing to do? <laughs> and <laughs> I'm still not entirely sure it wasn't, <laughs> but it seems to work out all right. Um, yeah, it's it's about, oh, it's about 30 pages long. So, I mean, that's a substantial, I guess, uh, not compared to, you know, say fantasy flight star wars uh but it's well a still... lot of the a lot of the systems that are that that are you know similar in in mechanics and, and in kind of narration of of how to, how it opens they yeah. also throw in a whole bunch of starters and a whole bunch of equipment guides and tables yeah. and so i think if you strip down some of those other books they're they're about 30 pages <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's true that's true um but yeah i i I spent a lot of time on that text. Uh, I'm going to say more so than any other game I've written, um, which is weird because that's 30 pages, and I think Dread is 160, something like that. Uh, And, of course, page count is not an accurate representation of the actual amount of words and something, but, uh, um, yeah, writing dread was, 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 uh, I got done with that one and I was like, wow, that was tough. That was big. And that was a lot of work. And, uh, it's weird because the actual rules for dread can be written on, you know, the front and back of an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. Uh, and I, we made it that big because at the time that's what role playing games looked like, and we wanted it to look like a role playing game. And I think if I were to make it today, I would definitely make it far smaller, um, just for the sake of like, uh, you know what? I don't know what I would do if I made it today. Now, now I'm thinking it through. Uh, that's interesting. So I've always thought. And by always, I mean within the past uh, few years, I, since since I did Vest and Starlet, that if I made Dread, I would make it smaller. Because one of the impetuses for making Vest and Starlet was trying to sell Dread at a horror convention. So it wasn't a, a role-playing game convention. It was a horror convention. Uh, there were three of us there, Vincent Baker, myself, and uh, Brett Gillen. And so we had Dread, Murderous Ghosts, and uh, Final Girl. And we were trying to sell it at this horror convention. And I think we sold two books the whole weekend. And that was it. And part of that was just they weren't role players, so they didn't see value in spending so much money and then having to read a book that big in order to play a game. Whereas a role player, uh, not not to generalize here, but like the role playing audience, myself included, I, I look at a book that big and I'm like, ooh, there's hours of entertainment just trying to figure out how to play this game, you know? Like yeah. <laughs> that's that's juicy, juicy reading in and of itself. Um, I'm, I'll I'll pay the price for that, uh, but I, we were up against like. <clears throat> booths that were selling like five dollars you get three dvds or something like that so yeah yeah you could do the math there <laughs> uh, 
uh, but we did. I mean, like you could see we were talking before about the the moment when non-role players realize what they can do. Uh, when I when we had dread at that convention, I put out a Jenga tower, right? And the magic of having a Jenga tower at a convention is that people will just stop whatever they're doing and uh, toy around with it, right? Like yeah. they. Everyone knows what a Jenga tower is and what you're supposed to do with it, and it's fun. It's not like everyone does it, but you constantly have people doing it from the crowd. There's always somebody who's like, oh, a Jenga tower. Let's see what we can do with that. And uh, the moment they do that, I start putting them in a scenario where it's a week after a zombie apocalypse. Their car is broken down on a rural road outside of a farmhouse. Uh, and the farmhouse has a well out back so they can get some fresh water. So they're doing that. But then they notice that the cornfield is moving in a way that doesn't match the wind. So something's clearly coming towards them. And they're like, ah, oh, make a run for the house. And you're like, okay, you have to make a pull to make it to the house before whatever this is comes out of the cornfield. And another pull to break the door open in such a way that you can get it closed again. And they're like, okay, okay. Oh, and then there's that dog that you saw that's chained up there, that cute little dog. What are you going to do about that? You're going to pull for that. And then, you know, you have that and they're making these pulls and they're already invested. And they're like, what is this magic that's happening to me? Why, why am I, why am I experiencing this? I want more of this. And I'm like, yeah, you do. And then I put, I put that big ass book in their hand and I say, that's $24. And they're like, <laughs> Two middle fingers. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, yeah, that was the and I was like, oh, I'm going to make these games smaller and more palatable to uh, audiences like that. And that has been a thing that I've been trying to do. But that was before Twitch. And I may not have to do that anymore. <laughs> well, no. I didn't want to step over you, Kent. If you were, oh, say I'm, I've been, I've been talking on mute. I hate that. I've, <laughs> I've gone and been explaining, you know, or like, like narrating a scene, and sit there waiting, and everybody's silent, and I look down and sit there blinking at me. <laughs> <sighs> and the wind gets out of your sails too when that happens as a GM, and you're like, you're like. You go through this whole elaborate setup and how the wind is blowing and the waves are crashing and the ship is yeah. straining and <laughs> and then they then you turn it on you're like oh god can you can you hear me and they're like yeah yeah we didn't hear what you're saying what's going on with the scene uh, you're on a boat <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> you're the one who's who's went, you know who's losing lost all their wind and crashing and uh, have you ever had that have you ever had like something throw you in a game like like really oh, bad yeah. like I had a game that, that I was playing once and. I just, I just, I, I looked up and I, I caught this girl in the polar opposite of what I was explaining earlier. Just completely uninterested in what was going on and just didn't want to be there. And it was the hardest thing to recover from because I knew because she was the only one I could focus on at that point. Yeah, yeah. You know, when you have one player at the table that is not, not into it, and you're like, yeah, how do I fix this? And and. You know, if you do the math, there are more players that are into it that you should be concentrating on. Yeah. <laughs> but that math doesn't work. 
Yeah, I, th- I think it would be different for for me if it was uh, a group of people at a con, you know, versus a uh, like my normal table. Because when yeah. I first started gaming with this group and reconnecting with them two, two, three, um, over two years ago, we gamed three times a week. Even we were having, you know, we were having the, the games running. But there was always, you know, one person who would show up and he had a long day of work and he'd play for the first thirty minutes and then he'd lie down on the floor and fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> And, and I'm not no, not even exaggerating. No, yeah. <laughs> he, just, he would just walk over and he'd fall asleep. And then the only distraction would come when you know because I have a I have a four year old at the time he was you know between two and three and um, the only distraction would come when the other players would leave the table to go like lay artifacts of my child all around <laughs> them in a in a little like a, you know tableau <laughs> in the room. But Good. other than that, I think uh, yeah, it's like what you said. The more people are engaged than not, my whole focus is always on you know who's who's looking at the table and making eye contact and engaging. Yeah. But uh, in a, it, like, Kent, for you, I haven't had that situation where it's a more of a stranger, or, or not even a stranger, but like a person who's new or something like that, and it's just like, I don't really know what they're doing, but I really want I want them involved. I want them to have the moment. I can yeah. sort of totally see how that'd be hard. Yeah, this was a, a new person I'd never game with, and I was just, every, every moment I was like, okay, what do I do to draw her in? What do I do to bring her in? You know, let's make this joke, or let's give her this action, and just just throwing it against the wall every time. Yeah. <laughs> there's, um, there's a thing that happens sometimes, uh, with swords because you, <clears throat> you're often, you know, sort of pitching the ball to someone at the table and you're like waiting for them to do something with it. And it's perfectly fine for people to take their time thinking something up. And, uh, but, there there are people who appear to be taking their time thinking something up and there are people who appear like deer trapped in headlights and just because they appear one way doesn't mean they are or are not thinking something up <laughs> and so it's just like you get this sort of suspenseful thing where you're like i don't want to jump in because at any moment they may just bestow us with this amazing bit of story or what have you, but I don't want to leave them out to dry. So what do I do here? How do I, how do I deal with it? Uh, I usually, I'm usually aware of the fact that like the, you, you want to let it go until it's uncomfortable <laughs> like yeah. you want to you want to go a beat past uncomfortable because if you just go to uncomfortable you're cutting things off too soon you know that, that you get uncomfortable before uh the actual moment uh, so you want to like be like okay i'm uncomfortable now let's just give it a few all right now i'll ask if they need <laughs> help or you know like just um but yeah, it definitely like I've I've played games, especially at conventions, and when you're demoing a game, and there's uh, there's you know, I want to say that everyone who's played every one of my games has fallen madly in love with it, but that's not true. And <laughs> you just have these moments where you're like, oh, this isn't you're not enjoying this. I'm totally fine if you want to just get up and find something else to do <laughs> you're not gonna i'm not trying to trap you here 
you're not helping me and I'm not helping you by staying in this dynamic. But you can't always do that. You never you're not always in a situation where uh, you're demoing a game for a bunch of strangers and there's an entire convention worth of distractions they can wander off to. Uh, sometimes you have to sit at the table and figure it out what what's what's going on or sit at the table and never figure it out. People are weird. <laughs> I had a, I had a question. Mm-hmm. Go for it. So just, just, uh, you know, one of the things that, that I've noticed a lot of is, um, and, I, and I've dealt with myself in, in my groups is that, uh, you have people coming from a traditional method of role playing or the OSR or the D you know, D and D style pathfinder style games that are crunchier, uh, very, you, you know, very intimidating for new players to get into, and uh, the you know one one thing that I know Kent showed does Kent does really well on his show is bringing new players into more story focused rules like games that just get right into the story and you don't have a lot of a lot of uptime. But one of the things I was curious about, especially from from you, uh, is with with a game like Swords Without Master, how do you kind of kind of I don't want to say pitch it, but how does a how does how do you see traditional uh, strategy gamers or the war gamers coming into a story game like Swords Without Master, which not only is is you know a little you know little rules light, much more narrative, but it also turns the entire concept of of uh, of, of hit miss rolls uh, and yeah. action based rolls on on its head. How do, how do you kind of see that that going? Uh, it was interesting. Like early play tests of it, um, there were things. Okay, so swords. Starts off, it starts its life in a game called Monkey Dome, which is freely available. If you go to my website, I have like a section for other games and it's got a bunch of things there. Monkey Dome was a game that a group of us made. Uh, it was myself, Jason Keeley, uh, Jim Sullivan, Emily Kerboss, and John Stravopoulos. Um, we were going it was a week before a convention called JiffyCon um and JiffyCon was this tiny little convention that takes place in uh Massachusetts uh and it was about a week before no it was precisely a week before it was the Friday before the Friday of JiffyCon and we decided we were going to make a game in a Jiffy we were going to (laughs) take a concept that uh well, we didn't even know what the concept was going to be. The whole point was that you, nobody went into this knowing what it was going to be. And we were going to create the game while we were playing it. And then uh, write it and, and have it published and have copies of the game to hand out at JiffyCon in the course of an entire week. We had done this once before with three of us. Uh, my friends Jim and Jason uh, and I, we made a game called uh, Trial and Terror which is uh, a game that I gotta put out there a little bit more. I really love the game. It's it's um, Trial and Terror Supernatural Victims Unit, and it's it's a Law and Order style game where the first half of the game you play detectives, and then at, at the you have a timer, and when that timer goes off, you switch over to playing uh, the prosecuting attorneys, and you're investigating crimes that involve. Uh, supernatural powers and things like that. Um, so that was Trial and Terror. It was a very fun game. Uh, we made that in a week, and we were like, let's do it again. So we sat down. We wanted to come up with a game. 
and we had a board full of 20 different game ideas, just the smallest nugget of whatever a game idea was. And like the runner up to give you an idea, the runner up game was about if you're familiar with the television show, family matters. Are you yeah. familiar with that? Yeah. yeah. The Burkle, right? <laughs> yep. Uh, the game was the game concept was family matters, but you play uh, the because originally that was going to be a sitcom about this family and Urkel was just going to be this weird next door neighbor that occasionally showed up. Right. Uh, and it, clearly, Urkel was the breakaway hit of the show and kind of took over what the show was going to be about. <clears throat> so we wanted to design a game that was about losing your show to this weirdo <laughs> next door neighbor kid. So that was one concept. <clears throat> we, so we had 20 concepts and what we did is we just rolled a 20 sided die and eliminated them. We were just like, okay, are we doing this one? And no. Okay. Are we doing this one? Eh, whatever. And eventually we got down to monkey dome and monkey dome. The concept for that was the movie Thunderdome uh, and the way that, that movie has this weird tonal thing going on where sometimes it's a grim, gritty, post-apocalyptic movie. And sometimes it's like a zany, wacky movie. Uh, and <laughs> the example we always use is the shovel. Like if somebody picks up a shovel, there's two ways that's going to go. You can go the grim way and that's going to be horrific what they're going to do to you with the shovel. Or you can go to the zany way where they hit you at the flat of the shuffle, shovel and it goes boing and you cross your eyes and you fall back, right? So uh, that's what Monkey Dome is. You roll the grim or the zany die and you do it before you do anything. And that's so that's the the very beginning of Swords of that Master. We uh, had a lot of fun playing that, like creating that game and playing it. There's lots of elements of that game that's in Swords. It's basically a perilous phase from Swords Without Master, just a nonstop perilous phase uh, <laughs> in a post-apocalyptic setting. Uh, so it's a little breakneck. Uh, it's a little um, uh, it's a little exhausting to play, but it's a lot of fun. Uh, we played it. Uh, we created it using this method we called playstorming, which was like I said, you play the, you just. Like, here's the first rule. Let's start playing. And you pay attention to what people are doing. And you're like, oh, the way you're behaving there, that's a rule. Oh, for instance, and there's a great example of this, the thunder in Swords Without Master, where you roll for your overtone, and then you have to give a distant threat that uh, may not come into play, but we just have to make sure that everyone knows that that's there, right? And that's called the thunder. It's called the fuel in Monkey Dome. And that came about from when we were playing it. Uh, one of us was just, as they were you know, playing the Game Master, uh, was doing that. And somebody else was like, hey, you keep doing this thing and it's really effective. We need to make that a rule. We need to make sure that, like, that's not just a GM technique. That's a thing. That's, that's something that this game needs. So let's write that down. Uh, it's a, and it's a really uh, effective way to design a game or more, I think more specifically, it's an effective way to see what can be designed into a game, right? You To examine how you're playing and go, wait a minute, all of this could be rules. Let, let's really figure out what's what. Well, I've lost the thread of the question. No, I'm back to it. I know what's <laughs> going on. Okay. 
That was that was awesome insight though. <laughs> Before yeah. you go back to it, just <laughs> so uh, Monkey Dome, uh, we we played it uh, a ton in that week while we were designing it and writing it up and publishing it and printing it, and then we were riding the train. At the time, I was living in New York. We were riding the train up to Massachusetts, and we were bored, and we were like, "Hey, you want to play some Monkey Dome still?" And we're like, "Yeah, we're not sick of it yet," which is really weird because the moment I print a game, I'm sick of it. Uh, and, um, I, I come back to it. I, I get better. It's just that moment when it's done. I'm like, good. It's done. I can move on. Uh, and on that train ride, uh, one of us, uh, Jason Keeley, I believe ran, um, a Western game with it where the tones were young and guns. <laughs> so <laughs> we played this young guns game, uh, and it was so good. And during that moment, I was like, I had been reading a lot of Fofford and Grey Mouser, and I was like, I had been trying to figure out how to say this thing I wanted to say about sword and sorcery, and it was that moment where I was, I just, it just came to me. I was like, this is how I'm going to say it. This is this is what I'm going to use. Uh, and so we had that that kernel of the game. We had the perilous phase and a lot of the uh, the working elements of the game. Uh, and I had to come up with um, the rogue phase and the discovery phase. And we had lessons, but we didn't have mysteries or motifs and uh, all these other things that I had to kind of come up with and make it uh, work in this sort of sorcery vein. And while I was working on that, I was playtesting it with this crowd. And when I playtested it with this crowd, uh, the perilous phase worked fine because that's what we did. That's what we invented. We all knew how it worked. But when I play test it with people who weren't part of this crowd, the perilous phase dragged on and on because people were treating their opponents as sacks of hit points. <laughs> and they were, they were just like, they would roll the dice and they say, okay, I swing my sword at him. And I'm like, okay, do you, you, you're allowed to narrate what happens. And they're, like, uh, and they're like, I I hit him and uh, graze his left arm. And I'm, I'm thinking, okay, here's the cue you're giving me. You really like this opponent, and we're going to continue this fight. And then at, at the end, like some of the feedback I get is like, that one soldier was so hard to defeat. Why? <laughs> I thought I was a, a sword and sorcery hero. And I'm like, if you wanted to defeat him, defeat him. <laughs> like that is, that is within your grasp. You, you are the rogue. Uh, so working out how to tell people you're going to be communicating something to me when you don't defeat your opponent, when you defeat your opponent, you're saying this, I, I am, bored with this guy or this guy is not worthy of my attention uh so i'm just gonna wipe him out or you're going to just like slowly work your or struggle with them uh you know slip and struggles the terminology i use in the in the rule book but like succumb to their attack and just like raise up their glory show us how in how hard it would be to defeat this opponent so that that moment when you do, when you finally decide this is it, we're doing it, uh, it will be all the more glorious. Uh, and that was a thing that, like, that's hard to get across to people who are used to having the system tell them that this is a hard thing to defeat, right? Uh, having the system say, 
here, here this thing has so many more hit points or it, you need to roll this much higher in order to hit it or when it hits you it does this much more damage uh not i'd like i i don't want to sound dismissive about those kinds of mechanics because i certainly have played my fair share of those and, and quite enjoy them uh but that's not what this game's about right so finding a way to convey that and then i have found that usually when I'm running swords for people that are in like a more traditional vein, uh, the key to me is getting to a rogues phase and then making a demand of them that just completely breaks their idea of what they think that should be. Right. So, uh, you know, I, I start describing them in a rogues phase where an entire mountain is collapsing on top of them. And I just hand the dice to the weakest character and say, how do you stop that mountain from falling apart? And then <laughs> just that, <laughs> that moment of like, what? <laughs> I don't see those skills on my sheet. What's going on? <laughs> how do I deal with this? And then once that happens, I think that people kind of get, uh, a, a, like it, that sort of kick starts the engine. They're like, wait, this is possible. And it's like, a you know, we were talking before about that moment when nobody's role, who somebody who's never role played before, um, has that moment that, that, that expression that comes across their face when they realize what's possible by role playing. Uh, this is like a, like a, a, a glimmer of that, you know, like a little, a little bit of that again. You know, the, somebody who's played a lot of this style of game, or a lot of the, the you know that that other style of game now, like wait, hold on, <laughs> I'm being a, born born again into a new form of storytelling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's great. I love I love seeing that, and I love uh, watching one. And I do like the there's rules and swords that are very very much about um, like especially during the perilous phase where I say. You know, you say what you do, you can tell us how that affects your opponent, or you can throw that back at the overplayer. Because a lot of people are more comfortable just throwing that back at the overplayer. Or I shouldn't even say more comfortable, because that that has a weird value judgment. I think what it is is that they just prefer it. You know, it's just, it's more interesting to them if the overplayer comes at them again with something else, uh, rather than... Uh, them describing what happens but i know as a player i love telling you how awesome my character is like that's <laughs> <laughs> i will uh, or or if i'm playing a character that i want you know i'm playing to lose which i i do quite often when i play swords i do like playing the sort of jack vancean style uh uh, sword and sorcery jackass that you just sit there and go, oh, it's just I can't wait till this guy gets his comeuppance. I really <laughs> fuck this guy so hard. I can't wait. And then I, I'm that way. I can't wait for. It. I actually grew into the habit of making characters like that, starting from D and D and that style of game, because you don't really have this kind of control over when good things happen to your character and it's sometimes easier eh, easier is not the word i'm looking for but uh 
maybe easier is the word I'm looking for. I don't know. Uh, it's it can be really enjoyable to then make a character where you're like, I kind of hate this guy, and when the shitty thing happens. I'm going to be happy about that. <laughs> and, I mean, you can always enjoy good roles, whether you like your character or not. It's, you know, but if you design the character in such a way that you can also enjoy your bad roles, then, then you're, then you're really, you're really doing well. You yeah. got it all made out for you. <laughs> yeah. well, one of the, one of the things that happens a lot in the, just going with what you just said, when, when yeah. you, when you decide how you want to play a character, the system the system definitely kind of changes, you know, to you, you know, you, you're, yeah. you're, you know, doing different things, but when you're playing a strategy game, I find like, like D and D and this happened to me actually at a game store because I was really craving playing D and D again. And so I actually went to a game store, played with a group of strangers and uh, nice. I was the old, I was the oldest person there, of course, by far. And, and I, and I, I, you know, just played any character that they wanted, they needed. And I was just really excited. But when, when it came to, and I was the fighter of the group, and the the fight said, you know, the, or the DM said during the fight, like, what do, what do I do on my turn? Well, I I just decided to 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 be a little bit zany and throw an elbow drop in there. But, <laughs> so my my little, which was even funnier because I was a dwarf, so I was really low to the ground in a very nice. ineffective but funny, uh, you know, moment. And I wanted it to bring some levity since it was a very tense group. <laughs> and I got evil stares and a couple people going, like you've done you know how to play this right because you just cost us probably another round or two because right. you, didn't, you didn't put out any damage this round and, and, and i was thinking oh yeah i i'm i i forgot that that's part of the con so you you could play yeah. really like that idea of that that character but i realized that i was affecting the way the group was able to be effective in combat which is a big deal to strategy gamers right and uh, but it, but uh, you know had I done the same maneuver in a in a game of you know Dungeon World or or you know which by the way I still haven't played which is a guilty uh, yeah I'm guilty about that but anyway the it, it, your, what you just said definitely definitely rings true where you're like you, you can control the bad a lot better <laughs> you can be silly in a D and D game yeah. you can't you can't necessarily be the best of anything all the time yeah do you know what's a good game to do an elbow drop in. Worldwide, oh, yeah, it's such a such a great game, though. I mean, such just oh. such a good book, anyways. Uh, just yeah. if you're a fan of wrestling or even not, I mean, it's just it. And people have said before, it just kind of captures like the spirit of wrestling. Worldwide wrestling does. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I'm when people ask, like, you know, what game design are you jealous of? Uh, that one is one of the first ones that pops into my head. I, I mean, I love Nathan. Uh, and you know, he and I, uh, we go way back and, um, yeah, I do, I do a podcast with him, a Rockford files podcast with him. Uh, but, uh, I wish I had thought of worldwide wrestling. <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> God damn it. Uh, no, and I'm, I'm happy that it's out there and he, he's a far better designer for that game than I would ever be. Uh, but it's so good. Yeah. It's just so, so good. Um, I'm yeah. gonna run it again with with I think people who've I think I like Powered by the Apocalypse a lot. It's you know, mm-hmm. I like the system a lot. Um, I think it, I think for me at least I think it runs better with people who are familiar with it at least because the the guys sure. I ran it with they never you know we'd play just 
silly games, you know, before like just story based games. So really putting something with with the PBTA rules behind yeah. it, they they kind of weren't weren't didn't know what to expect, and I you know, so I I, I want to run it again with people who who are familiar with with the con- at least the concept of you know PBTA. So. Yeah, it's, it's people who are, who are looking to dig their teeth into the rules a little bit and uh see what how they interplay yeah yeah so it's such a good game and book uh just incredible have you have you read it tim no i i haven't i i so i i've been i've been really uh, aside from just like normal life stuff and you know we we have a a new baby and a and and a little little boy and so we we, we're we're pretty new baby is no excuse (laughs) we try we try our best to play a lot but but i've been designing a couple different games for the past you know two two years and a lot of what I'm doing when I run games, the people that I'm running them for, there were I'll always put out polls and say, "What do you?" I'll give them a bunch of options, and they always choose these these certain games that we're playing. And so, I haven't had a chance to run games that I want to run. And I, I, I then I have another side of me that's like I I'm kind of saving myself. Yeah. <laughs> and there's three games on my list that I'm sort of saving myself for. Okay. And uh, so I'm gonna, I'll, 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 with with total shame right now, say that I've never played, I've never played Dungeon World, and okay. and it's one of my favorite games. <laughs> I've never played Swords Without Master, oh. and it's my, one of my favorite games. And I've never played Worldwide Wrestling, and it's because I know I'm gonna love that game. I, I am, I've read it. I, well, not Worldwide Wrestling. I haven't read it, but I know I'm gonna love it. Um, but I, I've read it. I've listened to podcasts. I've, I've, I just know it's gonna be the greatest moment. But I've built it up in my head that I, I don't know who I will let run it for me. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> it needs to be the right experience, and and you know, and, I, and then I know I'm gonna turn around and immediately want to run it for my group. So I'm gonna want it to be an experience that I could take away, like kind of like how to do it. Right. Yeah, so I don't want it to be a drunken and a drunken, you know, wits and chivalry game with my group of players here where everyone, you know, doesn't remember anything the next day. Um yeah. Uh uh how are your Sunday mornings? Uh my Sunday are you still doing that? Occasionally. Actually, I shouldn't I shouldn't do any promises here because uh, Sunday mornings is also when we're trying to do the uh, the Twitch, the uh, Sunday morning, uh, the, the speed runs of Swords Without Master. Oh, um, right. With uh, with um, uh, Jason. Who is it that you were doing that with? Uh, Sean Nittner and Strash and um, Emily Kerboss is in it. And uh, oof, um, I forget the, the we have. <laughs> Two other players lined up, Misha and um, I'm really Naja. Uh, sorry, blanking on a name there. Uh, but anyways, it's on the actual play Twitch channel. So I watched the first one that you guys had done. That was fantastic. Oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah. We're I'm pretty excited. I'm trying to. Uh, the whole concept uh, is to you know run the game, uh, get a full game that feels like a full complete story done in the least amount of time possible and i have suspicions about that time being somewhere around a half hour oh wow uh, which is <laughs> roughly the same time that say a sunday morning cartoon would take if you happen to watch thunder the barbarian on sunday mornings <laughs> like yep. i did when i was a kid that's brilliant. so 
we'll we'll see. We'll see if it works. Uh, but um, the first one was only fifty minutes long, so um, I, the whole thing was two hours because we made characters and we did, talked about how the rules were going to work. But the from the first the role of the first overtone to the last reincorporation in the game was only fifty minutes long, so that we have to break that record next time. <laughs> or or we fail. Well, that's an awesome experiment. Yeah. Yes. Um. Oh, I was gonna tell. Do you mind if I like tell a quick story about playing D and D at a uh, game store? No, oh, go for it. Because <laughs> we talked about that earlier, and it just reminded me of this moment. Because you said you you played it at a game store because you were kind of craving it, and you played with a younger crowd. Uh, I had a very similar situation happen. I was at a game store. They were running some uh, fifth edition D and D, and the crowd that I was playing with were a fourth of my age, <laughs> like somewhere between it. Th- like they were teenagers, right? Like, and I'm in my forties, uh, but they were early teenagers or whatever, young kids. Uh, some who have played before, some who have never played before, but they were getting it. They were, you know, kind of understanding what was going on. Uh, we were playing the game, and we came across some, I think it was a couple skeletons in a white, right? So there's some undead that we were dealing with, and uh, there there's like a pool of water, I remember, being involved. Might have, there may have been a ghost there, too, or something. There's, it's been a little while, but there was a lot of undead. I was playing a druid um, and enjoying that, but we had a cleric in the group. And the I didn't because this was a young crowd who they were kind of all up in each other's business a little bit about you know what everyone should do. I didn't want to be that way. I wanted to let people kind of discover what they were capable of. So I didn't like say, oh, you should do this or you should do that because sometimes yeah, you know, sometimes that's welcome and sometimes that's not. And I was trying not to to you know. Uh, make the the first D and D experience, uh, first role playing game experience for these kids, be all about this old guy telling them what their character should do. I was trying to be very conscious of that, uh, but it got to a point where it was getting pretty sketchy, and this, uh, yeah, we 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 were on the losing end of the fight here, and this cleric had not turned undead. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to ask, hey, have you thought about turning undead? And this kid looks up at me, and this expression on his face is the, is the greatest expression, because I remember this moment in my own life where he said, I have thought about it, <laughs> but, but what if I can't turn back? Oh, man. And I was like, oh, that's great. <laughs> that's so great. Like... <laughs> Because I remember being so, like, when I first started, again, with the, the the expert set, what the fuck does turn undead mean? It clearly it means you turn yourself into something, right? I'm just looking at the chart for it, and I don't understand that chart. Like, T, I'm turning. D, why would I want to destroy myself? I just want to turn into a skeleton here. Like, <laughs> it was, oh, it was exquisite. And, like, I didn't, I didn't, I just... I didn't even want to break his misunderstanding of it. Like I was, I was like, "Oh, this moment is so good," but that's not what it means. 
That's when you just pat them on the back and lean back and just look at the light coming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <to the group. laughs> uh, a well-earned total party kill. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> just let this happen. Oh, wow. That, that, yeah, that brought a genuine smile to my face. That Just that story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was so good. The expression on his face, it was just this full of wonder and horror, which is exactly what you want, right? Yeah, like, you yeah. just want that mixture of, like, I could do this, but... What if I can't come back? <laughs> oh, yeah. Wow, I could talk forever, but I don't want to take up too much of your of sure. y'all's time. I appreciate so much taking time out of you know out of your day and, and chatting. Thank you for just, doing this, yeah. Yeah, it's been just a fun chat, you know, just talking. Um, typically, I, I don't know. I like to – because – so I listen to a lot of podcasts, a lot of role-playing game podcasts, a lot of movie podcasts, and – Podcasts are a lot of times a one-sided conversation where you're hearing people talk and you're wishing you could be part of the conversation. And right. so I like to do a little part where where uh, where I just have people kind of recommend stuff. It could be a game, it could be a show, movie, anything. You know, just kind of because that's what I want to do when I'm listening to podcasts. Like, oh, I really want to tell these people about this thing, but I can't sit here and talk to my phone because I'm supposed to be working and people will look <laughs> at me weirdly if I started just recommending movies to my phone. So, right. <laughs> so, so let, yeah, let's do that. Let's just, I mean, it could be anything at all that you want to recommend. Tim, we'll, we start with you, Tim. Oh, uh, rec- we're doing recommendations. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I, I've been playing a lot of, uh, of, uh, of actual plays on on your show and on Victory Condition Gaming recently, and so I've been exposed to a whole lot more uh, games, and and just pretty much all of those have been fantastic. So, you know, all, uh, I know we uh, uh, we most most recently, oh, sh- what was the, the most recent? Dads on Dads on Mowers, yeah, uh, was oh. which was a module of Kids on Bikes, yeah, yeah. which uh, you know by Banana Chan and and uh, <laughs> just. We just I, we just had a lot of fun with that, so I, I definitely recommend Kids on Bikes for that that eighties nostalgia, and for those of us who are uh, <laughs> who are are up there, and you know, yeah. we, we also get to be on mowers <laughs> dealing yes. with this stuff. Uh, but then the other thing I wanted to say, I, I know it's not out yet, but I have to mention it because I've been reading it over, and I'm really excited to have the the playtest material. Uh, Cat's Dreams by uh, Toby Abad, which is a single player. Uh, uh, Miyazaki style game where you have a familiar as a cat. Just I'm really excited. So I know there'll be more about that coming out. But I'm really excited to to play test that. I've never played a, a solo game. And then uh, what's the other last thing? Last thing on my list: Mo- uh, Mechas and Monsters. So I, there's a game coming up uh, with Alan Barr where Kent is going to take us through Mechas and Monsters by Gallant Knight Games. And I've never played a mech game. <laughs> I've never watched anything that has to do with mechas and monsters. <laughs> so I've been pouring over it, and it's just fantastic. So Mechas and Monsters by Gallant Knight Games. Nice. Now, Epi, you have a module in, uh, in Kids on Bikes, right? I do, yeah. yes. Uh, Which yeah. one? Um, be, what, uh, Beyond Southwood Drive, I think. Oh, cool. Or something like that. Uh, that one is... <laughs> I don't. I now I haven't seen Kids on Bikes yet, so I don't know what of it they they kept in and what of it they took out. But I think I I explicitly said based on a true story because uh, I was like, you know, here's a game that literally is about my own childhood. So let me just stat up my whole neighborhood, and so that's what that is. That's awesome. <laughs> um, 
but uh, I feel like so it may or may not be like I, like I think Kids on Bikes has got some interesting. I, okay, here's the interesting thing I did in that uh, is that I uh, worked up rules for pets uh, for dogs specifically because our neighborhood was just filled with a pack of non wild dogs <laughs> like dogs where they all were somebody's pet but they were let off the leash and allowed to run wild with the kids um so uh i came up with some rules that i i quite like for that uh but i will say when when we were working on the different things i saw banana chan's uh dads on mowers and i was like god damn it like that was another <laughs> one where i was like mm, all right i should have stepped up a little better than i did here so um I can confirm yeah. that yours says uh, this module is based on true events. Yes, excellent. Yeah, so that that <laughs> that made it in. But yeah, yeah, that's great. I, I will say, I, I'm tang- doing a tangent here a bit. But when I saw Kids yeah. on Bikes, first thing was Dads on Mowers, just because that title uh, it just yeah. it, it blew no, my mind, so and I'm like, I'm like, I'm a dad on a mower. You know, that's me. <laughs> and then, then I yeah. saw that 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 you were one of the stretch goes. I was like, well. You know, I have to have this game just on those two things alone. And but yeah, it's been so. I've run the game. So Dove Lewandowski's made me run it for him, uh, which was terrifying. Having to run a game for its own designer terrified me because yeah. <laughs> I, I've only been running RPGs for like two and a half years now. So yeah, it, it it was it was frightening, but but it also gave me a lot of confidence. But anyways, it was unanimous that everyone wanted a part two. So yeah, I have ideas. Oh, it was good. Yeah. But anyways, we were doing recommendations, uh, so right. Uh, I'll do mine. Um, I've been watching. I don't have a, right now with baseball. Both two kids in baseball work, and you know, doing the show. I don't have a lot of time. So late at night, uh, uh, after I'm not watching WWE for whatever reason, I've been <laughs> watching The Terror. Uh, um, I've, I think it's oh. wrapped up now. So I've been catching. Yeah. You know, I've been watching it now that it's all out, and oh, it's such a good show. I read the book years ago, but just such such a great atmospheric show uh this is I mean, the ships trapped in ice one right yeah it's kind of based off yeah. of uh you know parts of it are based off a true story where they're trying to find like i guess the north the north passage through yeah. the arctic uh ice fields and then you know it's written the book was written by dan simmons and you know it added kind of a, a creature effect and uh, it's just such great atmosphere i mean like atmosphere reminds me of like Lovecraftian in atmosphere, you know, it's just isolation and this like lurking dread that's coming and everybody's just got great performances and it's been really good. The uh, commercials for that, uh, you know, it, it, the, there's that weird thing about like a trailer or a commercial where there's like a moment in it that catches you that the, like you otherwise would just be like, okay, whatever I might watch that or whatever. But for that one, when uh, the the ships get caught in the ice, they're not level, or maybe you know, like they're 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 caught tilted or whatever, and you just have people inside this tilted ship. And I was like, I'm gonna have to watch this, and I have no idea why that was the bit <laughs> that caught me, but it just did. I was like, yes, yes, yeah, there's, <laughs> I want to watch this. Yeah, there's like a really cool shot in the officers' uh, quarters where the ships, you know, the ice is tilting them. I think is what it is, but yeah, where they have the desk raised up off the ground with with ropes to keep it level, you know, to have the surface yeah. of it level, <laughs> and everything else is, is you know like like canted uh, or 
they keep the desk for so all the writing instruments and everything will stay level. They have it tied up to the ceiling. But it's just for atmosphere, it's just great. Uh, I mean, all the and like I said, all the performances are really good. So that's something I definitely recommend. Now that it's wrapped, I'm sure it'll. You know, I've been watching it on demand, but I'm sure it'll hit Netflix eventually. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think. Oh, I did pick up a new podcast because I've run through everything. I've been listening to the gauntlet. I've, I've listened to all that. Um, but, um, the one I want to talk about is I am here, uh, from mm-hmm. RPG, uh, Tessa from RPG cast. She, she has like an online, I guess, database of, of podcasts that are about role-playing games, you know, actual plays or whatever. Uh, right. but it really kind of focuses on diversity. Uh, She's, I think she started it mostly for like women rope or podcasts that were run by women or had uh, women GMs, and it's kind of gone out from there, like into uh, you know people with non non binary or trans representation on it. Uh, just but her her podcast, I am here, and that's H E A R. I am here is just kind of interviewing these people that are putting out these podcasts. So Emily and Cinda from She's a Super Geek were I think her first show, and it's just it's been really. Uh, really interesting to kind of you know hear people talk about inclusiveness and diversity and, and representation in role-playing games and uh, yeah. it's just you know it's i like listening to that because it, it kind of keeps it helps me you know because one thing i want to do i want to my show to be friendly and i want people listen to it i want them to be able to see themselves or hear themselves in it so right. you know hearing her these conversations kind of keeps me thinking about that constantly and trying to evolve my show and bring in different, you know, people, different represent, different representations of people. I'm not saying what I'm wanting to say. Right. But I think everybody knows what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it's a really good podcast. Cool. All right. Epi, what have you got? Any, any, any good recommendations you can lay on us? All right. I was thinking about this. All right. So this is what I'm thinking here. Uh, I'm going to recommend the movie Rampage. I think I've already done that, <laughs> but I just uh, want to to do that again. Uh, that was that was a hell of a lot of fun, um, and I think that uh, I, I've, I've mentioned this on Twitter that after watching Rampage and Jumanji, which came out this year and surprised me too, that was a we went to it on a, um, the budget night, you know, the cheap night at the at the movie theater and I had never seen the original Jumanji and I was like, this is really kind of good. I'm really yeah. enjoying this. Yeah. Um, I was very surprised by Jumanji. Yeah. So now I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to spend this summer watching every rock movie I can get my hands on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I know, I know they're not all great. That's fine. I watch lots of really bad films and things like that too. So I can deal with it. But, uh, I, uh, but Rampage is good. I really, really genuinely enjoyed Rampage. Um, if, uh, like, as far as giant monster movies, because you mentioned, uh, uh, what was it, the Mecha versus Monsters? Or, I, yeah, Mechas uh, and I, Monsters. Mechas and Monsters. Yeah. Uh, another giant monster movie that I can recommend is Shin Godzilla, which I think you'll probably have to find on DVD or Blu-ray. I don't know if it's streaming anywhere in particular uh but it came out i think two years ago um it's the godzilla the most recent godzilla movie from out of japan and it's amazing uh it is all about like how crowdsourcing and infrastructure can save the day (laughs) so uh that's good stuff it's good stuff uh 
I am going to recommend a calculator because I want to be the first to recommend a calculator on this podcast. <laughs> you you are the first. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm, the calculator I'm going to recommend, uh, actually what I'll recommend, this is this will be, be better than what I was about to do. I'll recommend a calculator app, the Free42 app, which is a reconstruction of the HP42 uh, scientific calculator. This is an app that's free. You can pick it up. You can put it on any device that you've got. You can put it on your computer. You can put it on your phone. I have it on my phone. It's fun. It's a reverse Polish notation calculator, which means that it doesn't work the way you are probably used to calculators working. So uh, also look for the HP 42 manual to learn how it works. (laughs) Uh, And it's programmable. And I've been sharing programs for it uh, online. I just... The reason why, first of all, why I, I'm in love with this calculator is that I've also got the DM42, which is a uh, kind of souped-up version of this calculator that some company other than HP, like it, it's an indie. Okay, the best way to explain it to to uh, to role players is that the DM42 is a souped-up retro clone of the HP42. That's that's how I should describe that. Uh, and uh, I got that calculator, and I love it to death. But it's like two hundred dollars, so I'm not recommending it. If you're if you're like I just want a calculator, uh, to get the free app and play with that first. <laughs> uh, but I got that, and I've been programming it and and having fun doing things like that. And just today, somebody posted an image of an article from an old Dragon magazine for how to calculate falling damage that involves. You know, the square root of the distance you fell times five divided by four, you know, all this. Uh, yeah, it's, it is the the distance you fell, the square root of the distance you fell times five divided by four is the number of dice you roll. And they're, they're like, why would you ever do that, man? And I was like, here you go. Here's the here's a program, a 22 line program for your free 42 that will not only do that, but roll the actual damage for you. So you just plug in the distance you want, and it'll tell you how much damage you take. Beautiful calculator. <laughs> oh, I love that calculator. And then uh, I think the final thing I'm going to recommend is a podcast that is only the most vaguely role-playing related podcast that I can recommend here. And this is a podcast called Twin Sister, Twin Sister. Um. And the there is a uh, role-playing streamer, Amy Vorpal, who has some fame. She was in the uh, Geek and Sundry uh, Dread game that kind of put Dread on the Twitch map. Um, she is, she's got three sisters, one of which is her twin, and it's just the four of them talking to each other. And it's it's super funny. They're very different people who are all related and clearly have like a long history together and love each other, but also kind of tease each other and whatnot. And it, I I don't know how else to describe it, but to say that it's just sort of like just very enjoyable to hear people enjoying each other's company. So it's a very uh, I find it a very pleasant content. Uh, podcast in this particular day and age (laughs) where i could just 
kind of like, I don't need to deal with anything right now. Let's just uh, listen to these these four um, women discuss their various lives and laugh together. So I know that's a weird recommendation, but give it a shot. Yeah, I'm gonna. Ch- I'm definitely going to check it out. I got. I have a job that allows me nine hours a day to listen to podcasts. So. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm always, I can't always looking for new stuff. Designing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, my podcast time is only on commutes because if I'm designing and I'm listening to other people talk, I just end up typing what they say. And that's not good. <laughs> it's just the same same with me as I have the, the long California, Southern California commute. So I... Uh, it's not, not that long, but it's a long enough for me to get uh, either half of a, a long episode or an entire short episode in in one way. So yeah, that's when I can do it. Excellent. All right. Well, uh, I guess we'll we'll wrap this up. I again really appreciate you all. Thank you, you know, taking time and just coming on and chatting. I mean, it's just you know I could probably go for a few more hours if I had it. So. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Oh, sorry. Didn't mean to step on you there. (laughs) Oh, I just said it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed myself. Good. Well, let's do the thing and, you know, tell people if you want where they can find you online. Oh, wait, Tim. God damn it. You were going to let me get out of this episode without talking about this. You had big news this week. Oh, you don't have to talk about big news. Oh, yes, we're going to talk about it. (laughs) I want to hear the big news. Well, it's 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 big to me. It's big to <laughs> my, me too. My my wife and I have been designing a, a game for the last two years, and the system, the core system of that game, um, about I, don't, I think about a year ago, um, I uh, kind of partnered up, or or uh, you know, was picked up by uh, Garfield Games, who put Ooh. out uh, board games such as uh, North the North Sea Raiders, North Sea. Uh, uh, explorers, you know, explorers of the North Sea, and then uh, most recently had a very extremely successful Kickstarter campaign uh, for architects of the Western uh, kingdoms, and it just just a wonderful games with beautiful artwork. And I just I was a you know big fan, and sort of you know pitched the idea, ended up ended up getting connected, and we just announced actually he just announced uh, uh, Shem at Garfield Games just to put the cover art of the book that's going to be our first kind of big published game um uh, Kristen, my wife and i are the the credit designers for and it's called uh, the north sea epilogues and it's sort of the bookend to his trilogy of north sea games and uh, so he's had several different board games that are just amazing they can be put together to, to they play off each other and lets you do all these wonderful things in this beautiful setting he's created and then the north sea epilogues is a uh, sort of a rules light uh story story focused role playing game that lets you kind of take the step deeper into it to continue the the story but but through a role playing game and uh so he just put out the art which is by the Miko and uh who's who's fantastic and and uh, we saw the art we I wasn't expecting him to post it that day and I was just really excited and so yeah that's that's the news for for us over at Dice Up Games and uh we're very excited and more information will be coming out I am Shortly. looking at that art right now and retweeting it because that is good stuff. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. it, it, isn't it beautiful? Like he, he does. Yeah. And if you look at his site, the Miko, um, he does amazing like comic art and all these other things. He's he's got a huge portfolio. But he started working with Shem at Garfield Games and and uh, making those games. And it, every single one of them just comes out looking fantastic. You just love having them across your table. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, does that that woman has a babe in arms too? Right. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. That's good. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> just we're very we're very is. excited about about the yeah. direction that it's going and and the pace that it's moving at. So yeah, I mean, it kind of it kind of took off. Uh, I saw a lot of people talking about it. So. Yeah, I, I was I was very surprised, and and again, you know, it's it's a scary thing because I'm you know we're we we te- we technically only have a couple games that have been published, and they're they're lasers and feelings hacks, and they're they're we love them so much, but they're they're not you know full games, and so you know we're really happy that Garfield Games saw saw the the system saw kind of the idea of where where it was going and how it fit into their um their their universe, and uh, and it, uh, we're just really really excited and happy that uh. And nervous and terrified at the same time. <laughs> nice, that's yeah. exciting. I've been I've been very happy. Yeah. Tim Tim reached out to me after like my second episode. I didn't know know him from anybody at all, right? And we've just kind of become friends. So it's really cool to to see this you know happening. And you know, so well, yeah. And this, the the people that I've been able to meet and and talk to on your, because of your show, Ken, it's just like given me not only like I get to like I mean I'm I'm on the same podcast right now with with Epidiah Ravishal and I'm a huge, huge fan of the work. And so like, it's just a cool, cool opportunity. And it was all because of this like networking that came so naturally of just a bunch of people that want to play games. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And, uh, it's just, it's a great community. It's a, it's a story I keep telling, but like when I first started doing, uh, worlds without master, um, the fiction community, uh, started paying attention to what I was doing. They're like, wait a minute, what's going on here? And uh, people asked me, like, how how did you build your audience? And I was like, well, I sat down with every last one of them <laughs> and played a four-hour game. <laughs> and that's <laughs> that's how I did it, brick by brick. I mean, it's not how I do it anymore. Uh, I mean, I still play games with people, and, but, like, it, you know, that, that sort of stuff builds on itself. So, yeah. um, but, like... Yeah, games are amazing for networking in that in that fashion. Like, uh, they're a great way to. Uh, it, it's, I think, very much to the benefit of the hobby and the industry. Like that that we are involved in such a social activity. Yeah, definitely. I agree. I totally. Yeah, because I mean, at the end of the day, you're putting out something that enables people to tell amazing stories that otherwise would never have been able to be told. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Greed, yeah, and I and I have to I have to say that the the core group of of gamers that have been playing this game since I made it out of desperation to to play Star Wars once one day, right. <laughs> like they they've stuck with it through every single iteration where they'll they'll show up for six games in a row when we're playing the story arc and then all of a sudden on the seventh game they show up and I put out these new character sheets and they're like wait a minute where did <laughs> where did this where where did this go okay let's play <laughs> oh that's great that is a good hold on to them yes oh, I, I won't let them i won't let them go they're uh they're they're they have to stay and and they, they've actually they got so excited i mean a couple of them got kind of excited about other podcasts and stuff and they they decided to start recording some of our sessions and uh kent, kent has has a we kind of wrangled a couple of us together to be on, on kent's show and we did uh what was it dr magnet hands yeah yeah, oh, so yeah. Kent uh, helped stir the stoke the flames, and now they're all really excited to keep putting stuff out and recording our games. And yeah, it's, it's really a, just a cool thing to be an adult and play games, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, <sighs> uh, yeah. Um. Okay. So awkwardly, I'll wrap this up. Uh, <laughs> if we just would go around now, what I was getting to before I remembered Tim's big news. You know, tell people where Thank they can find you online. <laughs> 
Who, who's going first? Uh, right? You are, Tim. You're, you can oh, go I'm going first. Uh, oh, yeah, I'll be quick. You can you can find my wife and my stuff on DiceUpGames.com or at DiceUpGames on Twitter or Facebook. And, uh, uh, or, our, or GM Tim D uh, is just my direct uh, Twitter that I'm on pretty regularly now because things are happening. That's it. All right. Epidai, where, uh, where, where, where do you want people to find you? Or your games right. or just anything? You can find me everywhere. Um, I am. I may be the only Epidia in the world. So if you come across an Epidia, I'm not guaranteeing that it'll be me. But um, I am at Epidia on Twitter. I am uh, occasionally on Facebook. Facebook is not my uh, favorite place to to chat with folks. Uh, I'm on G Plus, uh, and I'm on Dice.Camp which is a uh, Mastodon instance or whatever they call them. Uh, also, you can go to my website, which is digathousandholes.com, where the thousand is the number written out because uh, I can't just have a regular uh, website name. I have to have something that requires instructions as well. Or uh, if you're just interested in my sword and sorcery fiction, uh, you can go to worldswithoutmaster.com. Uh, and if you go there, you'll find my Worlds Without Master magazine. And if you go to issue three, you'll find Swords Without Master. So, I very, believe. Very, yeah. Well, I will tell you there's at least one other Epidiah who's got a Skype message saying, Is this the right Epidiah? <laughs> Waiting oh, for really? the next time they log on. Oh, you know what? Actually, <laughs> I bet you that's also me, and I just lost that password. I think that's a thing that has happened to me in the oh, past. Okay. <laughs> Uh, again, I've said it a few times, but thank you so much, uh, you two, thank for you. coming and just having just a delightful chat. I've re- I've really enjoyed it. Me too. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. Visit roll2playpodcast.com for more information. R O L L two playpodcast.com. Like us over on Facebook at roll2playpodcast. Follow us on Twitter at roll2playpod. Have a question or comment? Email us at road2playpodcast at gmail.com. If you want to play with a game with us, just hit us up on any of our social media and let us know. And lastly, our music is the intro track from the Spellbreaker EP by Triatachion. Visit soundcloud.com slash Triatachion.